Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast, where we bring you your ABC's adventure books and conversations from 11,000 feet in what is today the snowy eastern Sierra. I'm one of your co-hosts, Christopher, and with me, grimacing across the table at the snow comments. <laughs> I'm Stacy, and with us, as always, is our producer, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. Hey, Doug. Hey, Doug. How are you doing? <laughs> Doug. I'm like, I'm like feeling dug in or... Doug, Doug, it's Doug the verb, Doug the adjective. Doug, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's crazy, huh? But I'm enjoying the snow. Seeing it. Seeing <laughs> it. Let, let's clarify. Seeing, Seeing it snow. on the very tops of the powdered sugar mountains. Mountains look like they've got powdered sugar on them. Yeah. So we wow. were recording this at the very beginning of October, and we just had our first dusting of snow, and yes. people were kind of wary about it coming because it Barely had summer. Um, but yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people are like, yeah, this was all right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I have, I have lived here for over 20 years now and I can think of a very, most of the September 30th <laughs> since in the 20 years that I've lived here, we get a dusting of snow. It's not go. unusual. It's just prepping for the season. But after last year, it's like, oh my God, again, <laughs> Here we go. Winter again? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. It, it is what it is. Yep. And and it's supposed to be nice and warm and sunny by the end of the week. So, yeah. And who knows what it will know, be two weeks when this is actually Things always airing. change. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But happy happy autumn. Happy autumn to you, too. Thank you. And we should just acknowledge that, you know, you've dropped your youngest off at college. Yes. And had a week and you're back now. Yeah. Adjusting to... To, empty nest syndrome. Yeah, and a new chapter for a sure. New chapter for it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> well, you sure. you look like you're doing okay so far. Thank you. <laughs> trying my best. I text her every day. We text every oh, day. Of course, so. that's what we can do now. I know right? it's really nice. <laughs> I remember did when your parents left you at college. Mm -hmm. Did did they do what my mother did, which was give me a supply of blank pre-stamped envelopes? For writing home? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they gave me a roll of quarters for the laundry machine. <laughs> that's probably better. That's hilarious. <laughs> but it's true. You know, that's the one thing that I think kids are miss out on a little bit today is that they have the accessibility of, right. of texting and, and emails. Right. And one of the... For me, one of the most fun things about being away at college was going to my mailbox and getting mail, actual letters, like from my family members, yeah, from my friends, totally. you know, because we were all scattered all over the country. Yeah. And that made it so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It was a different kind of, it was a different era. Yeah. I think you made more of an effort. You did make an effort. So. And, and parents paid probably, I mean, my parents would let me call collect. So right. I learned how to place collect phone calls, which people don't know how to do probably anymore. So no, no. <laughs> did, did you do the method of, you know, saying that a collect call from Stacy and then they would refuse and then call you right back? <laughs> no, we never tried that. <laughs> that was our method. <laughs> 
oh, I love how different families game the system. Totally. At any rate, a lot of us are having adventures right now. And yeah. um, so I was just going to share one that I had this last week. Yes, uh, it sounds like it was so much fun. I can't wait to hear about fun. it. fun. So I, you know, full disclosure, I'm on the board of the Mono Arts Council, yes. which is a you know, does great work. Does great work supporting arts and arts education throughout Mono County. And we had our um, fundraiser for our scholarship program. Last year, we gave away our first scholarships oh, to nice. graduating seniors to go on and pursue um, studies in the arts. And so to fundraise for it this year, um, we had uh, a Bob Ross paint-along night. <laughs> and I think everyone knows who Bob Ross is, right? The guy the- with the Big Afro, right, on PBS on Saturday mornings. Painting was, happy little trees. Yes, and, yeah. Yeah. He yep. was just like an institution, He's right? like an icon in He's, the 70s, right? Totally. Right into the, probably like up into the 90s. He was on TV for a very long time, He's I kind think. of having a moment right now. Well, you know, I learned these Bob Ross paint-along things are a thing. Like, really? Like... People do this. And so we had an expert um, come up from Southern California and we watched a video of Bob Ross painting a mountain with some tree, happy trees and clouds and, you know, tried to memorize what he was doing for 30 minutes. And then we were all faced to our own little, you know, easel and given pallets of paint and what have you and, and guided through an attempt to recreate what he did. And, you know, some of those people did really, really well. Like there's just instinctual artistic. It's it's incredible how people are like sneakily talented and they, you don't expect it. And it's like, Oh my God. Exactly. I'm not one of them. I'm not one of those either, but we had fun, you know, people can have a glass of wine or a soda or something along with it. Everyone gets to know everyone else who's there. And, you know, you kind of look at what else's Mm -hmm. trees look like versus what your trees look like. And then some people like me get a little impatient and start working ahead because (laughs) we're not getting to the trees fast enough. Um, Whereas others are really, you know, methodical and do it really well, almost mathematic. So you you don't like paint. Like as he's painting in the video, you're not painting then, you're just watching. Yeah, this this time we're just watching. Okay. And then we had the expert who's an artist herself okay. and who's done this multiple times, like guide she us get, through okay. while she was doing it, I right? See. So we were okay. kind of copying her. her. Okay. But, you know, it was fun. It was hosted at a local Mammoth Coffee Roasters uh-huh. over here, here in Mammoth. They, nice. they gave us the space and a lot of different locals showed up. And Very good. it was just kind of a fun social hour, which is what some, you know, we talked about events a lot on this podcast yes. in recent episodes. Right. It's just ways for locals to get together. And tourists are welcome to come to these right. things as well. So That's awesome. Yeah. And do they have the, does the Mono Arts Council have these like at a regular cadence, like yeah. once a month or how does, how does that work? Well, they have their regular art and wine series, which we've had Kristen Reese, the ED yes. on before. And she said they have their regular art and wine series every month mm-hmm. where adults can, you know, do stained glass or mm-hmm. mosaic or painting or whatever. And you, right. get, you get a glass of wine and you, it's the same <laughs> thing, right? Yep. You're, you're socializing. And then there are these periodic fundraisers mm-hmm. through, through the year that are just kind of fun and unique and they're open to anyone. And there um, were kids there. There were people really? older than me there. So it was just kind of fun. Neat. A, very, a big cross section of, of people who live here, no doubt. And wanted something to do on yeah. a Tuesday night. I wanted to support the arts, which was right. also nice. So a, right. a big thank you to the people who showed up for that. But 
just, you know, another little fun. evening adventure that people can have when they're visiting or they live here. And and something like different that you're going to be able to talk about and reference like, yeah. down we're, the road. <laughs> we we're deciding whether to, we came home with two, right? Yeah, Because right. Will's went as well. So now we're trying to figure out where in the house we're going to hide these things. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're not going to like frame them and, you know, have them like as soon as you walk in? Did you <laughs> autograph would, the corner? People would turn right around and, and go. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to do that. Well, you know, if the podcast ever blows up, it could be worth something <laughs> someday, you know. Right now, I think it's 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 almost Halloween, so we'll just hang them up as Halloween decorations. <laughs> They'll scare the little kids. But oh, that was a fun adventure. So, very fun. Um, yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll and check them out. We'll check check. Keep an eye out on the Mono Arts Council website, yeah. and maybe you can come do that stuff too. Yeah, I'd like to do that. And in the meantime, we will be right back with our book segment. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now. We're at our book section. And Christopher, have you ever thought what it would be like if Disneyland existed on a mountaintop? Well, the teacup ride would probably be a whole new thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, that'd be kind of weird. Wouldn't it be strange? <laughs> well, It'd be odd. There is actually a book out, newly out, newly published, that talks about what if, and it's called Disneyland on the Mountain, Walt the Environmentalist and the Ski Resort that Never Was. Yeah. Yeah, and it's by Greg Glasgow and Catherine Mayer. Mm-hmm. And they do, have done a phenomenal job of researching what happened because Walt Disney, after he opened Disneyland, before they really got into building Disney World, Walt Disney World, Walt Disney World, he wanted to build a ski resort on Mineral King Mountain in the Sequoias. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. When I first heard about this book, I had no clue that he was even a skier, much right. less interested in opening a ski resort. Yep. This is all a surprise to me, but it, I, this was a real thing that happened. It, it was, and I I had no idea either. And I, you know, for, I've read a lot about Walt Disney. He's mm-hmm. he's a fascinating person to me, and his huge biography, which is like four hundred. 500 pages long, mm-hmm. did not mention anything about this. Really? This was not included in his biography. Well, maybe we'll find out why as and, we discuss the book. Yeah. So um, they, Greg Glasgow and Catherine Meyer, they do a really great job of, or they have done a really great job of researching what all went on in this endeavor that obviously Failed. It's not yeah. a right. I don't not giving away no any secrets yeah. there. <laughs> um, but they talk about how he, Walt Disney, really, you know, rallied so many people from different avenues. You know, from government, from the ski industry, 
um, of course, from within his own company to help kind of build out this idea of what this resort could be like. And um, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating read. Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the things that I took... and. Listeners, by now you understand we read the same book right. <laughs> this time yes. around. So this is the title that we're talking about. What I was interested to learn that I, some of the things I didn't know: a, he was an avid skier himself, yep. and so you know, skiing was really taking off after World War II. There were new ski resorts yep. opening up around the West, especially mm-hmm. um, including Mammoth Mountain. Yes, um, and you know, he was also very passionate about the outdoors and mm-hmm. saw himself as a conservationist. Yes, and. Actually, the Sierra Club helped him helped inform where he might open a resort because he was looking right. at different places. Yep. And, and uh, he, I didn't know, was invited to help put on the 1960 Winter Olympics in Tahoe. Yes, that that <laughs> was that was fascinating yeah. to me. I was so surprised. I had no idea that he had he done had that. done that, and yeah. he played a major role in in the formulation of what we know is the opening and closing ceremonies for the Olympic games these days yeah. really came out of what Walt Disney did in 1960. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. But I think what he, what I took away from the book was, um, and he was again, like working with different organizations to kind of identify a spot. Mm-hmm. What, what would right. be a good mountain? And apparently in the book, they say he approached Mammoth Mountain. Yep. And Dave McCoy. Turned down flat. He was just going to buy the whole shebang. Oh, everything. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and Dave wisely, um, let that, let that one go. Um, but he, you know, he had just opened this transformative amusement park mm-hmm. in Anaheim, California, right. that was just going to change the way Americans viewed amusement parks. Right. You come and spend a day. There's multiple things for you to do, multiple opportunities to sit down and have different types right. of food, and all ages could participate. Yes. And, and so he kind of wanted, as I took away from this book, wanted to bring that ethos in a way to ski resorts. Right. But yet it's easy, I think, for you to, for a listener or anybody who hasn't read this book to take from that, Mm -hmm. this idea of, just as we were talking before the show of, you know, Mickey Mouse on every, (laughs) on every signpost and, and, you know, singing bears, you know, and, and animatronics Mm -hmm. all over the place and, um, all the things that you think of when you think of Disney, you know, princesses skiing down the mountain, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this is not, that was not, his vision was not to actually put a a, a park, yeah. yes, on a mountain, but there were animatronics. Yes, there were. Like it's and, a whole chapter. And singing bears. And singing bears. But <laughs> um, there, there was. But that was for the evening. Yeah. That wasn't like yeah. part of the day. But you know, he really wanted to put together a a place where families could come to ski. Whereas if where if you didn't ski, you had other opportunities to spend the day. Right. You could go ice skating. You could go tobogganing, you know. Right. And, and some, a lot of the things that we, we see here now at Mammoth mm-hmm. Mountain, you know, mm-hmm. there's woolly wood and there's all different types of, you know, we have an ice skating rink mm-hmm. here in town. And there are lots of other opportunities for people who don't downhill ski to enjoy themselves right. while their family members are doing that. And that's kind of what he really wanted to have happen in this kind of contained resort, resort. Place. Yeah. Yeah. And we should say he had started this 
vision like in the 40s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time the pedal was really hitting the ground, now it was like late 50s, early 60s right. when they kind of zeroed in on Mineral King. And remind right. me, Stacey, I think Mineral King, which we should say is in the, the Sequoias. Se- the Sequoias. Right. It's the, the, today it's actually part of Sequoia National Park right. in the Southern Sierra mm-hmm. on the Western Slope. Yep. Back then, Mineral King was separate from Sequoia National Park. Right. Um, he kind of settled on that actually based on a recommendation from the Forest Service and maybe the Sierra Club two decades before. Right. Like, this might be a viable place. Right. And there was some legislation that had been passed that this, where the Sierra Club was kind of sanctioning mm-hmm. the promise to have a ski resort. Mm -hmm. And as they were going through their side of of Mm this, and at the initial start, they were like, well, we promised. We made a deal that we would allow this to happen. We we can't go back on it. And as things changed over time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, conservation as a movement grew in the 50s and 60s with Rachel Carson and yeah. others really bringing a spotlight to the importance of land stewardship. And and there were people who had cabins in Mineral right. King and, you know, they didn't want their life uploaded. Yep. And, um, and, and by then, like Yosemite had bigger roads built into Yosemite National Park right. and it was just getting overcrowded and smoggy, you know. Yeah. And, and trash, Trashy. lots of trash around and yeah. people not respecting the land. Right. So during the 50s and 60s, a lot of new membership came into the Sierra Club and kind of changed that organization's thinking so that by the time Walt Disney wanted to put some paperwork down to sign, there was real opposition. Right. Exactly. And people really were getting into protesting and, you know, they they actually at one point were out in front of the park at Disney. They really motivated, you know, their troops to make people aware of what their perspective of what Disney was trying to do. Which is interesting because, again, he saw himself as a lover of nature. He was going to do his level best to make this park fit in with the scenery, right? Right, right. yes. He was going to camouflage the ski lifts in some way. And, and, And have underground park, you know, not allow any traffic into the park that people would have to take a tram and right. a monorail or Can you imagine? Sort. <laughs> I, I can't. <laughs> I, I can't. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's just a, it's a fascinating read and, and a look at not only, you know, two different sides of an issue of, of some, of trying to put a, a resort of any kind together mm-hmm. and what people have to go through to have that happen and then to see not only how it all played out from all angles, but then to see the impact that it's had, you know, today, like that we, things that we, that we see in our parks today. And, um, you know, like the, the name tags that, that people wear, I didn't know that was a Disney thing. And we see it in, in our, um, the people who work in Mammoth Mountain, their, you know, their, their, their name tags say their name and where they're from. And yeah. that was a, a Disney thing. That so. was a Disney thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we talked a little bit about this before we started mm-hmm. recording too. What, 
what impact did it have on other ski resorts or would it have had had it actually been built? Like who actually would be skiing today that would that isn't skiing today that if Disney had an, you know, right. a pass, buy a pass to Anaheim and oh, by the way, you get a weekend at the resort, right. you know, who would that bring into the sport? Who would that bring into the mountains? For good or for bad. It, it could have, I mean, it could have been transformational to yeah. the industry at, at that at that juncture. And I, th- I think now it's skiing is a much more broad mm-hmm. sport and, you know, open, you know, open to a lot more people. A lot of that because it, the winter Olympics are televised and yeah. people see, Oh, Hey, I want to try that. Yeah. And, you know, get excited about it. But back then that wasn't the case. So maybe his work with the 1960 winter Olympics was the most impactful. And a lot of what he was envisioning in terms of like, you know, in a day long experience for all ages, whether you ski or not, is actually here, here in a yes. way because he helped spur that on. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I, I think, I think if he looked n- now at the whole industry and everything that's available to families at ski resorts, he could, he could tangibly touch what, you know, his ideas, mm-hmm. what they had, it, what they had an impact. So another takeaway, my final takeaway from this book that we both enjoyed reading yes. it, and it's not a long book. I think it's like 200 pages or something. So yeah, it's not the, like... The end notes are like <laughs> 20 pages of just, you know, research Research notes. is really well yeah. researched. So what I took away from this is that it, it, as a nonfiction book, it doesn't really paint anyone as a villain, you know? Everyone's coming from a place of of authenticity, thinking they're doing the best thing. Absolutely. And so you you learn about the people on the conservationist side of the fight as well, and their reasons and their motivations, and the people who lived in Mineral King Valley, as yeah. you say, protesting. I mean, you know, it's a really even-handed book. Yeah. And in a way, that makes it more readable to me. Like, I absolutely agree with you. In fact, I even said to my husband when and as I was reading it, and every two minutes saying. <gasps> did you know this? Did you know that? <laughs> you know, there are all these little great little factoids, right. you know, that are going to make me a better Jeopardy contestant. But um, he, you know, it's so balanced and it, there are no villains. Everybody has a role, but it's neither positive or negative. And I think they did, they took pains to make that so. Um I, I thought they did a really good job of that. Yeah. It's just a really interesting um, spotlight mm-hmm. on one instance that actually kind of reflects the growing conservation movement in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, right? Yep. That just so much generational change happened right there that has brought us the, you know, the lands that we enjoy today. And in fact, Mineral King after this did get absorbed into Sequoia National mm-hmm. Park. Yep. And it's protected now. Mm-hmm. Um but there's, I mean, there's so much more detail, as you said, that we're not even referring to. So we'll let people read yeah. the book. Yes. Um, yeah. But and it's, it's worth your time. It's it's worth everybody's time, you know, whether you are a skier or not. Or a or, Disney Or a Disney older. fan or not. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I still can't get over the idea of like riding a monorail to a ski resort and having, you know, Minnie Mouse greet you and you get off or something like that. That's what <laughs> I think of. Or be sitting next to you on the chairlift. I mean, that would just... <laughs> Or animatronic bears. Yeah, that would be crazy. But really, really, really a great read. So interesting and totally worth your time. So I recommend it highly. It's 
Disneyland on the Mountain by... By Greg Glasgow and Catherine Mayer. We will have the title linked on our website and, of course, on our Instagram. So if any of you have read it, uh, let us know what you think. Check it out. Well, listeners, that's our episode for this week. It's a little shorter, but hopefully it got you from point A to point B. (laughs) We will be back again at the end of the month with a new episode, and we hope you'll tune in then. Until then... Happy fall. Happy fall. Stay safe. We'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. In Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.